It's your Friday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there as well. And a really good show coming up. Going to talk some gopher football in a little bit. It's been a gopher football heavy week. Uh, we had Chips Goggins on yesterday to talk about his excellent um, Lawrence Maroney and Marion Barber retrospective. Check that out if you haven't listened to it already and check out Chip's story online right now and in Sunday's Star Tribune. Um, today, though, Randy Johnson from the Star Tribune will join me talking through the Gophers season to date. It's been so up and down, um, missed opportunities really telling the story the loss to Northwestern earlier in the year and then losing to Illinois last week in the final minute, 27-26, a game that really could have put the Gophers in the driver's seat more or less to win the Big Ten West. And now they're going to need a lot of help just to entertain notions of winning the Big Ten West probably at 5-4. and four. I just don't, I don't think that's terribly likely, but it is still possible. Bigger question is, will they even get bowl eligible this year? They're 5-4 and four right now. Purdue this weekend. Uh, Purdue's just 2-7, and seven, but guess what? Purdue's favored in this game. It's at Purdue. Gophers, the underdogs in this game, they'll certainly be underdogs next week against Ohio State. And then you talk about Wisconsin here to end the season. So you're talking about a team that could either potentially get themselves back in the Big Ten West race, such as it is a race, more of a slow painful crawl than a race or could be in danger of not being bowl eligible at all that is the nature of the big 10 in 2023 maybe it's just as well that this is all changing in 2024 and we'll get a more realistic picture of all where these teams all stand when the new members are here and the schedule gets much more difficult. So Randy and I will talk through all those scenarios and talk about the psyche of a team that has now lost a couple real heartbreakers this season. Got some wolves and wild thoughts towards the end of the show as well. First, though, what did I miss? Uh, I want to start with Joshua Dobbs, Vikings quarterback, and just the notion of backup quarterbacks draft picks and how how a narrative forms around a player and especially especially a quarterback right because you know we're talking about the most important position in all of sports I think we could probably most of us could agree on that there's going to be more you know more important positions in the moment I would definitely argue that you know goalie in the NHL is certainly a critical position, especially when you get to the postseason. Um, you know any number of things you could point to in baseball, starting pitcher, um, you know things like that. Like there's there's definitely important positions, but in terms of just like one person having such an outsized influence on a game, quarterback in the NFL, all that is asked of a quarterback in the NFL makes it such that teams agonize over who they are going to pick, but and who they're going to declare as their number one guy their number one starter but that they also maybe then give that person an outsized share of the attention give that person an outsized share of the possibilities the opportunities to succeed so joshua dobbs fourth round pick out of tennessee in 2017 of the pittsburgh steelers career at tennessee 
threw for over 7,000 yards, rushed for over 2,000 yards in, like, I think 37 games, um, threw for more than 50 touchdowns, ran for more than 30 touchdowns, a really good dual-threat quarterback. But comes into the league, he's got good size, 6'3", like, combine measurements are, like, 6'3", 216, something like that. He's, you know, comes in with good size. He's got those credentials from Tennessee. He's a fourth-round pick. Tell me what you think a fourth-round pick becomes typically in the NFL. It's a guy who probably is labeled, hey, maybe this could be a decent backup, um, something like that, if he sticks in the league at all. That is what you are looking at if you come into the league as a fourth-round pick. Now, there have been people who have defied the odds. Um, Tom Brady, much lower than that. You know, Sixth-round pick, Brock Purdy, starting for the 49ers right now, seventh-round pick. Case Keenum, former Vikings quarterback, undrafted free agent. Kirk Cousins, fourth-round pick, just like Josh Dobbs. Um, Dak Prescott, fourth-round pick. So there's examples of people who overcome whatever their draft position was, whatever people thought of them at the time, and find more prominent roles. But usually if you are a fourth-round pick, you have a label put on you right away. Your label is, here's your ceiling. Here's what we think your ceiling is. Your ceiling is maybe decent, high-level backup, spot starter, things of that nature. And that is what Joshua Dobbs has become so far in his career. Plays, you know, sparingly in his first, you know, four seasons, five seasons. He's, you know, with the Steelers, with a bunch of other teams. Then Tennessee comes calling late last year. He gets two Two starts, kind of comes in cold off the streets, essentially comes in cold, makes two starts for Tennessee last year, winds up with Cleveland um, in the preseason. They, get, they trade him to Arizona late in the preseason. He starts the first eight games there. Like All of a sudden, a guy who's barely played is now starting for two different teams, and now with the Vikings will be starting for his third team in a calendar year, a very rare thing to happen to a quarterback. I think it's only happened twice, Baker Mayfield being the other. But if we talk about talk about the opportunity here, but also talk about the label that had been put on him, the label that probably still exists, right? You're looking at Joshua Dobbs as an emergency guy, a guy who, you know, break glass in case of emergency, a guy who, you know, you look at it and you say, well, this is this is kind of our last resort. Our season is going off the rails. Quarterback X is hurt or we didn't have the plan we thought we have. Who can we get in a pinch? And that is hardly an ideal scenario for any player, let alone a starting quarterback to come into. So there you've there you've kind of got his his kind of ceiling, how he's thought of, the scenarios, the places he's brought into. He's either brought into a place to be a backup, to fill a role, to be a number three or a number two, or he's brought in as an emergency kind of fill-in, stopgap. Okay, here's a guy who maybe could pick up the playbook fast. Here's a guy who he could throw into this situation, feel like he could do some stuff. That is the scenario by which he exists comes to the Vikings just, you know, last week. This is only last week that he came here. Same thing, right? The Vikings have had the, you know, look at the catastrophic injury to Kirk Cousins, torn Achilles out for the season. They're like, what are we going to do? Nick Mullins is still on IR. That was their backup coming into the season. Jaron Hall is their only real viable, you know, viable quarterback. He is a rookie himself, a fifth round pick. They go trade for Joshua Dobbs at the trade deadline, bring him in, 
and they get him ready, but they're not expecting to have to use him. That's only basically like in case of emergency. This is the guy that is here just in case. Maybe he could do something just in case something bad happens. Well, Jaron Hall gets a concussion on the second drive of the game. He's knocked out. Dobbs comes in, has a disastrous start, right? Gives up the safety, has a couple strip sacks, but finds his way as the game goes on, throws a couple touchdowns, runs for another two-point conversion, um, touchdown pass with 22 seconds left to win the game nfc offensive player of the week highest total qbr of the week things like that now all of this is an elaborate backdrop of saying joshua dobbs has a label on him just like case keenum had a label on him when he came to the vikings six years ago and that label is this guy is only so good and maybe that label is fair, but I do have to sometimes ask the question, does your draft position determine your opportunity or does your opportunity determine your draft position when you come in? Things like that. Like, is Are you good enough to be more than what people think you are or is that opinion of people valid and that the reason you are where you are because that's what you deserve to be? With Keenum, it's complicated because his post-Vikings career, 2018 and beyond, suggests still that 2017 was the extreme outlier, that he came in that year um, and had a career season, had, you know, was way more than he was ever going to be or had ever been before. And that proved to be the case. So that you look at Case Keenum and you say, and you say, you know, if Josh Dobbs, if that's the comp, how do we kind of evaluate that? But that's maybe not quite the right question to ask because the question we need to ask is, can Josh Dobbs take the Vikings higher in the moment? Can he lift them up this season? Is this an opportunity? Is this a place where he's going to have a different kind of opportunity coming into a team that's good, not a team that is desperate like Tennessee last year, not a team that's trying to lose like uh, like Arizona was this year. Is it an opportunity for Joshua Dobbs to shed a label of this is my ceiling? Or is it at the very least an opportunity for him to come in and find a situation that is better for his skill set? So uh, that's just kind of the backdrop i know i've been rambling a little bit about joshua dobbs um and and everything that he could bring to the table this season and listen not talking about joshua dobbs being the vikings franchise quarterback we've seen him for three quarters and one of those quarters was one of the worst quarters you could ever imagine so i'm not saying that what i am saying is is the way we think about backup quarterbacks quarterbacks in general players in general guys drafted in the fourth round is that skewed do we create a false ceiling for players when we label them because of their draft position? Is more of sports about fit, about opportunity, about things like that? That's what I want to see. That's what I want to kind of re-examine in the context of Joshua Dobbs. Is this a better situation than he's ever had? Does he have a higher ceiling because he's been undervalued and because this is a better situation. That's what maybe we'll find out over the next few games, depending on how long he is the starter here. And it's just kind of fascinating for me to watch this because, hey, this is a guy who brings a different skill set than Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins 
a way better passer. Like I said, a fourth-round pick himself needed an opportunity in Washington when Robert Griffin III got hurt. That that was his opportunity, right? That was how he came into the league and got his chance. But Kirk Cousins, way better passer in this moment than Joshua Dobbs. But Joshua Dobbs brings the element of running to the mix, brings the element of, you know, kind of the escapability. He's 17th now overall this season in total QBR. He'd been starting every game for Arizona. He is a middle of the pack. He's playing in some metrics like a middle of the pack quarterback. He's a little bit lower in the pro football focus rankings. However, he is number one in terms of uh, running efficiency for, uh, for quarterbacks, according to PFF. So he brings a different dimension and he brings an opportunity here that I think is interesting. It's an opportunity to examine how we think about quarterbacks, how we think about draft picks, and how we think about how talent is evaluated in the NFL and sports in general. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's bring in Randy Johnson to talk some gopher football right now. It's been a few days, Randy, but I think people are still slowly digesting what just happened or what happened at Huntington Bank Stadium on Saturday. Gophers in a prime position to not only beat Illinois, but um, be in a pretty good spot in the Big Ten West race. And next thing you know, backup quarterback for Illinois goes 85 yards in three plays. They lose 27-26. And now, Randy, the conversation switches from can they win the Big Ten West to can they even get bowl eligible because now you've got to go at Purdue, which is still a very winnable game, but it's a road game. Then you got Ohio State and Wisconsin to finish the schedule. I mean, still two potential wins in there, three technically, but two potential wins. You could still consider five and four being a Big Ten West winning record, especially with who the Gophers have already beaten, but you don't want to bank on that. They really they had an opportunity and now their season feels much different now. Yeah, they really let, let one slip away in, in that last uh you know that last uh, Illinois possession. You know they, they knock out the the quarterback and uh, Danny Strigo's sack uh, and and fumble, and uh, they just missed recovering that fumble to end it. Um, Illinois recovers and they bring in the uh, backup quarterback John Paddock and hits the fourth and eleven pass for twenty two to Isaiah Williams. They get a seventeen yarder to the Gophers forty six. Gophers call timeout to uh, you know sell things down, I guess, and uh, you know to have maybe a, a much better uh, organized play. And then Williams just goes right down the middle. They, they fail to cover him properly. And there's, there's the touchdown and there. There's, there's the loss. Did we get a good explanation for how he gets behind the defense in a play like that? Cause it just seems to me that at, at that point in the game, it, you got to still keep everything in front of you. I know it's not like 10 seconds left. There's still like almost a minute left at that point, but it feels like you got to keep someone in front of you at that point. Yeah, it was it, there. There's a lot of mis- miscommunication, I guess. And uh, PJ Fleck um, alluded to uh, thought that maybe uh, that uh, Tyler Newbin didn't uh, didn't come in enough from the boundary. Uh, Aiden Gooseby on the other side didn't come in in enough, and then maybe Co- Co- uh, Cody Lindenberg's drop wasn't far enough back. It uh, looked like Cody released them to the to the safeties, and there was they just weren't there. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. And to that point, they had been playing relatively well. We talked about, you know, before we started recording, like Ethan Calic Manis had a really good first half. Things change, of course, in the second half when Illinois is back to full strength. And it was a lot harder to move the ball at that point. Yeah, once uh, Johnny Newton, their All-America defensive tackle, uh, got in there, he, he made a huge difference uh, right away, too. Illinois uh, f- uh, fumbles it deep in their own territory. The Gophers get it at, at the 12. Uh, they throw to the end zone. Uh, Corey Crooms had a chance to catch it, didn't catch it. Would have been a touchdown. Third down, uh, Newton sacks Ethan Ka- uh, Kalik Manis. Uh, so they, they're, they're forced to kick the field goal. But that was, you know, that could have been a four point swing right there. Kalik Manis, I'm sure, you know, we, we've talked about his up and down year. His receivers haven't done him a ton of favors this year. Is that frustrating him at this point, you think? Well, I would, I would, uh, I would guess that you know he's probably not happy about it. I, I think he's got enough on his plate to deal with first. I mean, you know, he, he's been in, inconsistent too. But uh, yeah, that, that's got to be got to be pretty tough for a quarterback when you if you do put the ball in there in a, in a good spot and it doesn't get caught. Um, yeah, that, that's they've had way too many of those this year, and it's 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 come back to bite them. Now, one thing PJ Fleck has been good at over the years is kind of zeroing in on the next task ahead and they, you know, after they lost to Northwestern, we kind of thought season over, but they rallied themselves to the point where they were back in contention for the big 10 West. How do they then go about picking themselves back up again? Is it focus on the one week ahead at Purdue, which I imagine they'll do. Is it bigger picture? Like, Hey, you know, this isn't the season we've wanted to have to this point, but you know, this, division is so wide open that it's still conceivable to to get to the Big 10 title game at 5 and 4. How how do you kind of, how do you think they regroup from this one? Well, you know, basically they always focus on the next game at hand and they you know PJ's mantra and the and the players always spot it too is that the, these are one game championship seasons, right. you know. We need to win the Purdue championship season this this week, you know. It, it's it's their way of, you know, kind of having blinders on and not looking ahead. I, you know, I think human nature is to look ahead and, and, and you know look at the at the situations like okay, we need to do this, we need to do X here and X here to get to where we want to be. But yeah, you do have to uh, take care of business, and they you know but they appeared to have taken care of business uh, last week until the very end. Um, you know, they, it was it was it was a tight game, and and every tight every West uh, opponent this year they played really tight. It's been a one score game. Why, what is this Brett Bielema curse? I know he's had some he had some good teams at Wisconsin, but he's beaten them with some utterly mediocre Illinois teams. Uh, you know, I'd say last year they probably Illinois probably had a, a very comparable team to what the Gophers had. Sure. They, the, the thing about Illinois uh, under under Bielema is they've been, they've gotten a lot more physical than they were before. So they they've won won the matchup in the trenches. Uh they definitely in the second half did for sure uh, this 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 last weekend. Um so that that's been um a big part of it. You know, last year they had a really good running back in Chase Brown and he he kind of ran all over him and they had the ball for 40 minutes. Um so it's it's they're they're a team that uh if they can impose their will on you with their running game and ball control, that's kind of throwing the Gophers game back back in their face. Iowa beats Northwestern 10-7, um, not a game anybody hopefully watched except for those of those who were drinking at Wrigley Field and saw that one. Um, but yet they gain a game on every meaningful team in the Big Ten West because Wisconsin loses, Nebraska loses, the Gophers lose. Now, Nebraska and Wisconsin losing is part of the reason why it still feels like even after that loss, if if Iowa can lose twice in these last three games, it's still possible 
to forge a, a four-way tie at five and four, something like that, where the Gophers would have all the tiebreakers. But man, how the the West is not changing the narrative at all of of how weak it is uh, as the season goes along. Well, yeah, I mean this this year it's it's as as weak as it has been. Uh, last year. Purdue went went uh, with three losses in the Big Ten. Went to the title game uh, this year. Right now, Iowa only has two. Um, they got Rutgers this week, Illinois next week, and then um, they finish against Nebraska on Black Friday. So it's basically, um, I, I I would not put uh, with with the offense Iowa has. It, you know, they're very susceptible of getting beat. I I could see them losing too. I'm not sure they will, but I could see that happening. Now the Gophers, I you know. They got, they got to win this week first before I can say that they would take care of uh, Wisconsin in, in the finale. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't harbor any uh, uh, thoughts that they would go into Columbus knock off the Buckeyes, but uh, uh, you know, there there's a chance for them. I, I'd say it would if they could have closed out Illinois, the chance would have been a lot better, and I'd have a lot more confidence in them completing a task like that. Yeah, I mean, if they'd beaten Illinois, given everything that had gone on around them, I would put them in. The category of the favorite to win right now, even with Ohio, even with Ohio State left on the schedule, because you can see, you could see a path to six and three pretty clearly if they had won that game, because you've got some momentum, you've got two winnable games on your schedule, and then you're talking about that's really all they need to do, except for hope for one more Iowa loss. And at this point now, it's I don't know, it's just this team is just too incons- inconsistent. They haven't really played that complete game against a good team yet. Yeah, that that's that's been the case. They're they're just not, you know, they, they have um, you know bits and spurts of, of very good play. They you know, they'll play good for a quarter, play well for a quarter or a half, and then all of a sudden they'll make some mental mistakes that uh, undo all the good that they did. Yeah, basically, um, that's what that's what happened uh, <laughs> against Illinois and, and and against Northwestern. Uh, those those the games were. Similar in in the well, the collapse against Northwestern, you know, three touchdowns. But toward the end, uh, the offense, both those games had a chance to uh, basically salt it away or close to salting it away with with one more first down, and just just couldn't quite do it. Uh, this week, it was um, basically Ethan had a, had a run on on second and seven, cuts it outside instead of going up uh, up the middle, um, gets gets three yards, but he probably could have got six or seven the other way, and then third down pass. They do the pop pass to Nick Caller up, but he's open uh, instead of something with some touch on it, which we called for. Nathan threw high and hard, and uh, they didn't get, didn't get the uh, first down, half to punt, and then Illinois uh, pulls the rabbit out of the hat. That's got to be frustrating, and it's got to be frustrating for everybody involved. And the you know the most you know the hardest part about this, Randy, is if not now, when? Like we look at the schedule in 2024 and beyond, no more Big Ten West. Uh, we we got a peek at that thing, and it's it's daunting. There's a lot of it's going to be a lot harder to imagine them even getting bowl eligible in future years, unless they have much better teams than the one we've seen right now. Because you add USC, UCLA to the schedule next year, Ohio State, Penn State, it is a it is daunting next year. Yeah, it's it's you know especially the way it starts. You know, the, to begin with, they they open the season non conference with North Carolina here, which obviously should be a pretty good t- opponent. Uh, yeah, they might obviously Drake May will be gone he'll be to the NFL, but that's still a lot of a lot of good athletes in that program. Uh, then when Big Ten play starts, you got Iowa here, uh, USC, yeah, here at UCLA, and then at at Michigan. Yeah, 
That's pretty nasty. And then the, the end of the season, um, Penn State here at then at Wisconsin, which you know those you know they'll be very challenging. Front loaded and back loaded. It's not easy. I mean, you know, this year's schedule had some had some rough spots to it. Had some challenges for sure with Michigan and Ohio State both on the schedule. But even with that, you could see a path. It's hard to see a path. Next year, but you know, I guess let's let's see how this year finishes up before we rush to judge what is going to come. Um, what will Michigan look like next year? What will Michigan look like in two weeks? This case is getting interesting, and it sounds like the Big Ten could have some things to say about them before the season's over, even. Yeah, I think there's going to be some type of resolution, and I, I guess what's going to happen, what will be the uh, what you know, if it'd be like a suspension for, for Harbaugh, and then the, now the talk is that if if they do do that, there will be litigation by Michigan. I think there's going to be litigation no matter what what happens. Um, yeah, I I think uh, uh, Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti uh, he could really make his mark here. Uh, you know, new on the job and everything. Uh, this is a a pretty um, you know it's a pretty intense scandal out there to to face for for Michigan and for the Big Ten. You know, you don't want teams to be pulling this stuff all the time. Mark Coyle was asked about that right over the weekend. I can't. Remember. What did he? What exactly did he say about it? Well, he he was he was pretty uh you know pretty pointed that hey something need, needs to be done about this. Um, you know, they basically said the integrity uh, uh has been compromised because of what Michigan has done in in his opinion. Maybe the integrity needs to be compromised in the other direction, Randy. And the Big Ten needs to send a very special set of officials for the Michigan Penn State game this weekend to make sure that Michigan doesn't get into the Big Ten title game. Well, I would say this that um, yeah, they're they're uh, the Big Ten would probably wouldn't mind if uh, the Wolverines absorb at least one or two losses here with Penn State coming up this weekend and then in the, the, the finale against Ohio State, it would it would uh, save some embarrassment, I guess, if you if you have to uh, uh, send uh, if you're sending a, a conference champion that has a, a cheating scandal uh, to the college football playoff, you know that's that's going to be talked about all all along. Um, so it's uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens indeed. Gophers at Purdue this weekend, see if they can get back on the winning track. Randy, appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Mike. Good stuff from Randy. As Michigan has alternated between dominance and scandals over the last couple seasons, you know, most of it having concurrently, um, I just catch myself thinking every once in a while how Jim Harbaugh was at least uh, looked at least for a day or two like he could become the Vikings head coach. They obviously chose Kevin O'Connell instead, and that choice has seemed to be very astute in the moment. Jim Harbaugh would have been a complete 180 from that, not saying he couldn't have succeeded here, but I think that the narrative would be much different with the Vikings right now had they made a different choice. But I do catch myself wondering, what if that had turned out differently? What if the Harbaugh to the Vikings stuff had been more real, had become reality instead of everything that's happening in Michigan right now and instead of everything that is happening with the Vikings right now? That, to me, is a fascinating what if that, uh, that, that definitely comes to my mind. Let's finish with the cooler. Couple thoughts on the Wild and Wolves heading into the weekend. Wild loses four to one to the Rangers on um, on Thursday night. Had plenty of defense. Seemed like things were going just fine. Only gave up one goal through two periods, but uh, the Rangers turned on a little bit of a flurry against the the Wild. No pun intended, man. I didn't even think about that, but that happened against goalie Mark Andre Flurry, who by the way was playing in his third consecutive game. It was his second consecutive start, but he played most of that other game in relief of Philip Gustafson. 
You would imagine that Gustafson, Philip Gustafson, is back in net tonight. Second game of a back-to-back with the Wild finishing this New York swing uh, with a game at Buffalo. But Flurry looking pretty good uh, early on. Gives up a couple, though, in the third. The Wild loses 4-1. to one, And that could be their quandary this season. That was a kind of a quandary last year at times as well. That when they tightened up defensively, when they stopped uh, maybe doing some of the things that were that were getting them in trouble defensively, but that were leading to offense in the other on the other end, that they don't have enough offense to offset um, that uh, that that strategy. I mean, maybe it's just a, it's just a one off probably in this case, but that that's something to to, to watch. It's always a trade off, right? When you tighten up defensively, you are giving up some of the opportunities probably that you had on offense. So how does that balance shake out for the Wild over the course of the season, and does this kind of renewed emphasis on defense that that they're obviously going with with you know the trades they made the other day and things that Bill Guerin has said is that going to lead to struggles on offense that they aren't going to be able to overcome and that they're going to lose too many of these low scoring games that is something I'm watching for um speaking of watching for Wolves at San Antonio tonight two things of note in that game one it's the first game of this in-season play-in tournament doesn't really won't really feel much different right now because these are just regular season games that they're also doubling up as these kind of in-season tournament pool play games. But this in-season tournament, if you're not familiar with it, the NBA is trying something new this year. There will be an in-season tournament champion trying to keep people, you know, interested in November and December and things like that. So this game against the Spurs is the Wolves' first one of that type, and it is their first chance to see Victor Wembenyama, the number one overall pick, the phenom for the Spurs, um, You know, just taking the league by storm already, had a huge game already in his rookie season. How will the Wolves defend him? Wolves seem like they'd be primed to you know, be able to Put a pretty good effort in against him based on how good their defense is, based on their, the quality of their bigs, including Rudy Gobert. But that will be a fascinating matchup, too, as the Wolves try to win their fifth straight game and try to take their winning ways on the road. They are 5-0 and at home this season, 0-2 on the road. How does that shake out against the Spurs? We will find out tonight. And that will do it for me. I'm sure we'll talk about plenty of stuff with Royce on Monday. Vikings against the Saints. Um, That should be an interesting game on Sunday. The second game of Josh Dobbs, his first start. Gophers at Purdue. A lot of toss-up games this weekend. A lot of defining things that we will see. And Royce and I will get to all of them on Monday. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again on Monday.